Welcome to the TV show, a show where we talk about TV. I'm your host, Jay Black, and each week I'm joined by Philadelphia radio legends Angelo Cataldi and Rhea Hughes to discuss the best shows, latest news, and biggest controversies in television. We're in a new golden age of TV, and we're here to talk about it. So, let's get to it. And welcome back, everybody, to the TV show. I'm Jay Black on a boat, but this time uh, without significant delay, it seems like. Joined, as always, by Rhea Hughes and Angela Cataldi. How are you guys, uh, land lovers? Wonderful. I'm, I'm great, Jay. I got two things I want to say. You're on a boat right now. First of all, I have a whole different perspective on Jay Black, which I will share later in this podcast. And it does not have to do with the fact that this is the first time in 77 episodes he's actually combed his hair. And, <laughs> and the other thing, Jay, is that I was brought to tears twice from TV this week. Wow. And I can't wait to share with people the great emotion I felt from my favorite hobby, television. <laughs> well, I can't wait either. This is the most exciting thing that's happened to me in a week because I'm on this stupid boat. Uh, all right, let's 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 start. I sent you guys an article, and I wanted to get your opinion on this because I found it to be very interesting. It, it was an article from The Ringer, and it started with the perspective of uh, True Detective, and True Detective being only six episodes long. And they were trying to determine what the optimum length is because even HBO was saying to the creator, can you do it in eight? And she was saying, no, 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 we're going to do it in six. We got it in six. And, you know, back in Jackie Gleason's time, back when the Honeymooners were airing, there were 39 episodes in a season. And that has gone consistently down. When I was growing up, it was, you know, uh, 26 to 22, 23. Uh, and by the time, you know, the 2000s rolled around, you know, 20 was the average then 13, now 10. Now, Rhea, I know you watch British shows, which have yep. two episodes a season sometimes, yes. if you're lucky. <laughs> so I'm curious about your perspective first. What do you think is ideal for the, the number of episodes in a season? Well, it's funny. So I, I, you know, I read the piece that you sent me, and I remembered when I kind of really first got into British shows was, uh, God, it has to be over a decade ago because I was living in Queen Village because I remember watching um, Sherlock, and that was the one with Benedict Cumberbatch. There were three, I believe one season, there were only three episodes, but they were an hour and a half long. So right. they, they just did it differently. I, you know, that they do most of that, that my manhunt that I, the show that I love, I believe is four or five episodes, but they're an hour. They give you substance in them. I believe you can do it in six. If you, to me, when you're sitting there going, all right, can I fast? It's hard to fast forward on stream because you, then you're like, oh, I got to go back. But when you right. get to a point and you're watching a show and you go, I don't need this flotsam and jetsam stuff right here. I don't, I don't care about this person. I don't. This is this isn't integral to the storyline. Then I think it's a problem. Like I don't like what Only Murders in the Building does, and I love the show. But every show is 25 minutes long, sometimes 30, but they're super short. But man, you want to get that next one. And they do it like over 10 episodes. I don't like that either. But I think the optimal thing to tell a great story is five to six episodes. For a single story. Angela, you agree? 
I have great respect for British television because uh, one of the, my favorite series of British TV was Luther, and they did four. And yeah. they did four and told a great story. And she's right that not every episode is exactly an hour or 48 minutes or whatever it is. They tell that story and lead you to the next chapter. And they they tell a story really well. I, when I'm now binging 20-episode seasons, it is more clear to me than ever that the writers ran out long before they got the 20. And they can't, they come up with these, they do one in black and white, they do one backwards, they have all different techniques to try to keep it fresh. But if you watch like Dirty Rock, which had like 22 episodes a season, it was a great show. Maybe 10 were great, and the others were throwaways. Uh, so I don't think 20 ever works. 10 can work. A Funny Woman, which is the best thing I've seen recently on PBS, also did six, like True Detective. They blew it out in six. They did a great job at six. I was also British. And True Detective in six should have been a movie, should have been about an hour and a half, was bloated, overdone, and it lost my interest after three. So it's always different depending on what story they're telling. But if it goes past 10, Jay, it almost never holds up. Yeah, you know, I, I do think the one exception I would say to that is sitcoms. And I know you brought up 30 Rock, but I do think a sitcom isn't trying to tell a story. It's trying to deliver jokes by your friends every week. And I do think that there's a difference there. And one of the things that uh, she mentions in the article that I thought was interesting was that, you know, one of the things about TV that is different than movies are these are people you invite into your home. And if you're only inviting them in for six weeks, the next season, it's kind of hard to like remember who they are and what <laughs> you were interested in. And like, what did I like about these characters? Um, whereas, you know, in the old days, you'd watch a show like Leave it to Beaver. You knew who Eddie Haskell was, you know, you like he was there every week. So you knew who he was. So I, I do think sitcoms might live, you know, maybe not 20, maybe 13 for a sitcom would be an optimal number. Uh so, uh, speaking of people leaving shows or shows leaving early, uh, the second issue I wanted to talk about was one that we covered on the show. And we didn't quite know what was going on. And that was uh, Kevin Costner leaving the biggest hit on TV by a large margin, which is Yellowstone, um, early. And we were like, well, maybe he was tired. Maybe he just didn't want to do it anymore. Maybe he had <laughs> enough money. Well, apparently, no, because he wanted to do two movies back to back that he, he spent $100 million of his own dollars to produce. Wow. Warner Brothers is distributing. Our good friend David Zasloff is distributing this. Part one comes out in June. Yeah. Part two comes out in August. Is this the... I, I kind of respect it because it's the craziest late-in-life bet-on-yourself move I've ever seen. Nobody produces a movie with their own money, Angelo. Nobody. I'm in the business. Nobody. I think they've misnamed it, all right? I believe instead of calling it Horizon, it should be Water World 2 because <laughs> it's going to be as big a bomb as that one is by Waterworld, which was the ego trip of Kevin Costa that cost the producers $100 million, the same number he's putting into this thing. Who wants to see? Is it really people want to see a civil war drama with Kevin Costner in it? It was like 70 now. Really? This is something we want. Look, Dances with Wolves was good. I'll give him that. He was 30 then. 
it's this is an ego trip destined to crash and burn. This will be as big a disaster as Waterworld. Yeah, I don't know like how how much like I really like World War II movies, but you're not getting me to watch a Civil War movie. It's just it's too far. Like you know, my my grandparents were in World War II. I heard stories. You know, that's kind of somewhat relatable to me. But I think he was, I mean, I think it's a classic case of he was probably bored with Yellowstone. I mean, yeah. that's the only way I can look at it is he just, you know, but listen, he's, how much money is he worth? 500 million? I mean, is he's he's got all kinds of real estate and he probably didn't have to give some of that to his ex-wife. That probably made him happy uh, that she didn't <laughs> get any of that money. So, I, I mean, I think it just came down to him going, I, I'm Kevin Costner. People are going to watch it, which they will. You know, the first installment will get tons of viewers. They might not come back around for the August one, depending on how it is. But I think he just got bored with Yellowstone. You have to remember that the average age of a Yellowstone viewer were in their 40s during the Civil War. So they might be <laughs> because they'll they'll say, oh, I remember when that happened. Okay. This thing is already backfired right in Kevin Costner's face. Because I don't even know if it had ever been in the main media before this week. But Rhea knows what I'm talking about. There's been this urban uh, myth, I guess, or urban tale. Urban legend, I believe it's called, yeah. All right, but anyway, and and Will Ferrell was on a show this week, Jay, while you were on the boat. (laughs) And he said that this urban legend was, but he believes it, that he thinks it holds up. And the legend is that Cal Ripken was toward the latter stage of his consecutive game streak, right? Right. And at home one day, he has, he was friends with Kevin Costner, and he caught Costner in bed with uh, Cal Ripken's wife, yeah. right? And they got into a fight, and Ripken hurt his hand yeah. and couldn't <laughs> play that night. So the Orioles didn't know what to do. So they finally got a brainstorm to keep the streak going. They disabled the light st- uh, stanchions in the in uh, Camden Yards or wherever yeah. it was, and they couldn't play that night. It was called off because of an electrical problem, which, by the way, has never happened in any other major league game in history. And the, and the story is now back out in public, yeah. and Kevin Costner now appears to be in a new a newfound scandal from something that may or may not have happened 30 years ago. Let's do a movie about that. I'd see a two-parter yeah. called Cal Ripken oh. Cuck, part one, part two. Let's do it. That I'll watch. <laughs> we will watch that. Yeah, no, um, guys, we did a thing a week ago on the morning show or something like that. What do you want to see a documentary on? And I think I picked that. I think I yeah. said I want to know the real story because we and we could never I and I don't even think we could mention it on the air. No. Because you know, it, but but Cal Ripken actually has addressed it, or not Cal Ripken? Yeah, he has addressed it publicly, like a while ago, and so did Kevin Cosner. But it's the fact that Will Ferrell is going, yeah, yeah, I think it's true. I'm going, is yeah. that legal? Um, I don't know if it's legal, but it allows us to talk about it exactly. now. Which is- <laughs> uh, and by the way, it's late '80s Costner, so I would name the a documentary. Can you blame her? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You should be talking to my wife. She loves him. Every I think all women love Kevin Costner. I mean, come on. Yes. Uh, so uh, speaking of streaks, uh, LeBron James, 
who has uh, gotten 20 all-star appearances, more than anybody in the history of the NBA, um, he is reportedly asking for $60 million for a two-year extension, the max contract for two-year extension with the Lakers, which uh, would, would be uh, $30 million a year. He'll be 42 at the end of that contract, which in NBA years is about 139. Yes. Um, he's still playing at a pretty high level, not the highest level uh, that he was at when he was a younger man, obviously. But I was thinking about this, and I know that this is kind of a silly statement, but if we're thinking about, you know, we talked about uh, the Super Bowl as a TV product and the, the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift adding 10 million viewers to the game. Nothing about what was happening on field mattered to those 10 million people. It was about yeah. the extra field stuff. Um, are, are we wrong to think of NBA players or any sports players that are, have a TV presence as TV actors? As, as personalities who should be paid commiserate with the number of eyeballs that they bring versus the number of, of uh, wins that they bring. I mean, they're, pro they're, they're related, but they're not exactly the same. Is 60 million all that ridiculous when you when you factor that in, Rhea? I mean, it's ridiculous to me because I don't think the NBA is getting the ratings that it, that it used to. Um, and because it's a product, people know that, you know, the load management, People take off all the time. You don't. You buy a ticket. So you buy a ticket and go to a movie. You know you're seeing the stars. You right. buy a ticket and go to an NBA game. You don't know. I I'm not lying to you. Many years ago, when Phil Jackson was still coaching the Lakers, I, Angie, I don't know if you remember. They they put a super team together. They had Carl Malone, Gary Payton. I was running late to the game. It was a Friday night. I decided to meet some friends. Pulled in, and I'm listening. Gary Payton got thrown out. Phil Jackson got ejected, and Carl Malone wasn't playing. And I turned around and left. <laughs> I never. I go. I was going to see the stars. So to me, you know, it, it's insane. He'll get it because the Lakers are just so tied in with him. Just like you know, Bryce Harper is going to get his extension money. But I, I don't think they're worth it. I don't either. First of all, uh, LeBron at thirty nine right now is still way too young to run for president. All right. <laughs> but, uh, he's an old man in NBA circles. And uh, I, for one, that doesn't draw eyeballs to me. I think it's sad when it gets to the point where the guy's past his prime. Here's the way I look at it. No, I think they're separate. I think you give him his 30 million a year if you could justify it in basketball terms, because the rest of the money, Jay, he's getting more money from endorsements and side yeah. deals than he is anyway. And that's based on your marquee value. So if it, I'll give you an example. I, right now, Shohei Otani is making $70 million a year. By far the most any American athlete has ever made, $70 right. million. Patrick Mahomes, who is a much bigger attraction in a much more popular sport, is getting $45 million, right. right? But the truth is, Mahomes is making probably another $50 million on all those stupid ads he's doing with Andy <laughs> Reid. Yes, <laughs> ads and all that other stuff he's doing. So I think your your the the level of your fame you get rewarded for that separate from what your contract is anyway. So he's making plenty. I'm sad that he wants to keep playing just so he can wait for his son to come up because yeah. by the time his son is playing, his son's going to be too young and his dad's going to be too old. So I yeah. don't know what the big attraction is going to be then either. Well, he's he's a freshman at what USC or UCLA? I forget where he's at. Yeah. But he had a major heart condition. 
So yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, there's there's a there's a health issue with his son. So I don't know if he's ever going to get to play with them. Maybe he'll do a Jordan buy his own team and put himself on there. Uh, that, <laughs> there you go. Do that. Got he's got the money. Yeah, got the money. All right. So I left some space here because Angelo, I I got to tell you, Angelo, you warmed the cockles of my dead black heart with a phone call that you gave me uh, last week. I mentioned uh, Pauly. My, the, the TV pilot that I uh, wrote and produced and my uh, writing partner, Brian Herzlinger, directed. And I sent it over, and I just wanted to, like LeBron, I'm just going to clear out, Angelo, and let you cook. You had some uh, thoughts on this. All right, this is not one of the two times I was brought to tears. <laughs> I want to say this, Jay, and you know, we go back a long way together. And I understand that. The stuff you're writing for Hallmark and for Life Time and all those, you, you are paid to write schlock. Yes. And I and honestly, you are amazing. This Paulie, this pilot, Rhea, I don't know if you saw it. It's friggin' terrific. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of TV in my life, and I have not seen a pilot this good in years. Right? Paul Sorvino plays this gruff mobster. And and Jane Garofalo is his daughter, and they're both better in this than anything I've ever seen them in. They are fantastic in this. The story is great. The cinematography is great. This is absolutely a phenomenal project, and I can't. You need to explain to us, Jay. This will give us insight in TV on how something this good did not get picked up. Because if the right eyes are looking at that, you're getting the money and you're doing that show. Yeah. So uh, we uh, first off, thank you for all the uh, kind words. I'm going to share this with Brian. I'm sure he'd love to hear it because, uh, you know, we wrote it together and he uh, he directed the hell out of it. What a what a great uh, job he did. But the uh, the thing is, we independently produced it. We we raised the money with independent producers, which is similar to how It's Always Sunny did it. They shot a pilot without going through studios. Generally speaking, you submit a script, a studio or a network likes the script, they shoot the pilot, they do the notes. Very rarely, not like a movie, you can sell a movie to a studio. It's very, very, very rare to sell a pilot. So for a lot of the networks, we were persona non grata from the start. They wouldn't even look at it because it was independently done. The, the ones that did look at it, we, this is right around 2012, 2013. So HBO and Showtime were our two big shots, and they both loved it. We got really good feedback, but they said too similar to The Sopranos. HBO no. didn't want to repeat themselves with a mob show, and Showtime didn't want to look like they were chasing after The Sopranos. <laughs> so where it wound up was a place called the Audience Network for DirecTV. I talked about this last week, and they were ready to pull the trigger. Uh, they got fired over Christmas break. The new uh, regime never called us back. And at that point, it was kind of burnt everywhere. And once it's burnt, nobody will take a look at it. So it was very disappointing because honestly, when you get done something like that, and you watch it, you go, this is maybe the best thing I've ever been involved with. And oh. I can't understand why this isn't getting traction. Jay, I tried to uh, do a little research after I saw it because I was really upset. I wanted to see more. Paul yeah. Sorvino is unfortunately is is passed away. Yeah. Michael Madden's great in it. He's passed away. So they'd have to totally recast it. But it was so good. And I went, 
How did they make these decisions? And I read this story about a TV show back in the 80s, which I love, called 30-something. It was a great show. It was actually set in Philadelphia. And 30 years later, Ed Zwick, one of the producers and, and directors of the show, decided to do a reboot. This was in 2020. Sure. And um, they called it 30-something else, and they actually did a pilot. And it was going to be picked up because all the people from the previous show were in it, and their kids were now the 30-something. And it had people who had, a, had demonstrated a great ability to do good television. It got, it got flushed. They got rid of it. Some lame reason that with too many reboots, you know how you got the reason it's too much like The Sopranos. Here's the shows that they green-lighted instead of it. Rebel and Harlem's Kitchen. Have never any heard of them. ever heard of either of those no. shows? No. So they had something that worked, and they didn't. And the problem now is so many of the decisions are made for the wrong reasons. If mm -hmm. a show is good, it's good. Don't okay. worry about what genre it is. That show, Jay Black, Whatever you're doing now, Jay, go back to that project or do something <laughs> on that level. Your talents far exceed what you have been doing in Hallmark and all those other schlocky things. And I know it's living. I know that's why you're on a boat. You <laughs> should be the next David Chase. Hello. I, I would love to be. And I would still do this podcast. No, you would not. No. Would not do the podcast. No, <laughs> believe me. The minute that's picked up, we'll never see this guy again. Jay, we have <laughs> we have loads of experience of people who started with us and then became big and then they stopped returning my phone calls. So right. never but if you, you leave us, Jay, we will just say the boat sunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's how yeah, that's how I'm fated to die, is in off the coast of Cozumel, Mexico. <laughs> uh, Angela, thank you for the kind words. It really does mean a lot, especially because you're a TV connoisseur. So uh, you, you have inspired me. I'm going to send that to my manager and say, can we do anything with this? I think it's a Please. good idea. Yeah. Um, all right. An even better idea, though, is talking British TV. With Rhea Hughes and Teen Corner with Rhea Hughes. Rhea, what do you got for us? So this is great because I didn't know that my um, my review that I did for my British Corner is going to tie into what we talked about at the top of the show, episodes. So this is actually a French show uh, that, I, that I did. It's on Amazon Prime. So I know people don't like subtitles, but I, I kind of went by it a couple times. It's called A Familiar Stranger. And so I, I said, let me just watch the first episode. And I loved it. It's basically the story is uh, this young girl is found, uh, gets hit by a car, and turns out that she had gone missing as a 10-year-old 11 years prior. So the first episode is just full of all kinds of emotion. The parents get notified. They've obviously separated since because, you know, it was such a tragedy. They couldn't handle it. The mother completely embraces the daughter. The father's a little suspicious. What's interesting is they bring the daughter home even before the DNA tests are finished, which I found kind of odd. But the first three episodes, and of course, the, the girl has amnesia. So she remembers nothing of, you know, where she was abducted to, doesn't remember the parents. It was the first three episodes. I was on the edge of my seat, loved it. I got to the fourth episode and then they just start throwing in other people and different storylines and I literally was grabbing my remote going, can I, but again, like I mentioned, it is hard to fast forward when you're streaming. 
So I have two episodes left. It's uh, six episodes. But like I said, I loved the first three. There were red flags everywhere about this girl that is she really their daughter? And all kinds of mystery evolved it. But it just, it, uh, to me, if they had done four to five episodes, they would have packed it all in. Now, I'm going to finish watching it because I want to know how the story ended. But I'm not really into it yeah. after after the first three. Yeah, that's it. That, that that this is what we're talking about before padding it to a set number of episodes when you should let the story tell itself in however many episodes you need. Absolutely. Just as an FYI, any network that's listening, if they do buy Polly, I'll do 40 episodes a year if asked. Just as an FYI, I will pad the hell out of it if asked. I have to love live TV. I just want to apologize. I took a sip of water. <laughs> and it went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> Paulie is, uh, I'm telling you right now, it's the best thing I saw this week. Maybe this month. Maybe this year. I mean, oh, it is wow. It's so good. I can't get over it. It didn't get sold. Ah. It's a strange visit. I always say the thing about uh, the entertainment industry is it looks like chemistry, but it's really alchemy. Like, it looks like if you just follow the rules you'll you'll achieve the thing that you want to achieve but there's some ineffable magic that needs to come in that no one can really describe luck it's really just luck it's it's luck yeah. it's getting somebody to say hey i really like this yeah exactly exactly the right person in the right place uh what do you got for us on teen corner this week so teen i'm actually really excited about so my son comes home on uh one day last week and he says hey i got a ticket to the catholic league championship he's a freshman at roman and roman's in the finals so that's great. I mean, this is a kid who my entire life, as he's growing up from the time he was a toddler, would mock me watching sports <laughs> on TV because, you know, Angela and I are very similar. We watch TV, sports on TV, and I lose my mind. I'm screaming. His favorite thing to say, he started saying it to me when he was four years old. You do know they can't talk back to you. They can't hear <laughs> you. You know, so he's always made fun of my love of sports and my love of watching sports on television. Goes to the game. It's amazing. Roman wins on a last second shot in overtime. Comes home from school yesterday and he's like, can we watch the highlights? My son in 14 and a half years has never asked to watch sports highlights with me ever. So we sat down, pulled it up on the, on the, uh, on the computer. We watched it. He was still yelling and screaming. And he looked at me and he goes, I get it now. Uh, and he said, I'm invested because it was his school. Like, Angelo, you never got that. I like totally love Temple and I watch every game, even though they're terrible, but they're my, it's my school. And so he just said to me, he said, listen, I, I, I get what sports is. It's an emotional investment and it's why they continue to make the money that sports will make because it's sports is the greatest reality TV show. I read the NFL is guaranteed $125.5 billion uh, in, over the next de decade in television money. That's almost $4 billion per club because you can't replicate that in a scripted show. And that's why sports on TV will always finish in the top 10 of everything. That's a beautiful story. It really is. There's no, two things. One, there's nothing better than a kid turning to you, a parent and going, I get it now. I think we yes. all dream of hearing that. <laughs> yes. And uh, too, I, I would quibble. The only show that comes close to equaling it, I think, is Harlem's Kitchen, a show we all love. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, what happened to that? <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, well, I'm ready to hear what made you cry. I'm very excited about this. All right. Tears in my eyes twice. First okay. one, 
Episode four, final season, Curb Your Enthusiasm. These were tears from laughing so hard I was <laughs> on the floor, all right? This final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm has been brilliant. And this one, there's a whole, the main story is about somebody is disgruntled at the country club and they put up a sign and it gets all, but the real part that made me laugh so hard was Larry David's a girlfriend in this, tr- played by Tracy Allman. She's Irma, right? And she somehow convinces Larry to go for couples counseling, right? And in it, at one point, Irma describes in depth a unique physical quality of Larry, namely that he has, and I'm quoting Irma now, long balls. (laughs) And she's describing what happens when he sits on the toilet and it's so funny, Jay. You can't breathe. It's so hilarious. My <laughs> wife was laughing hilariously to the sequence about Larry David's uh, gonads. <laughs> and, and it's why this is why I love television because there is nothing in my life that consistently brings these heights of emotion the way TV does. And it's why even in a week where I didn't find anything new that I could recommend, there's not a lot out there right now. I still had these moments. And that was the biggest laugh of my week. And the biggest cry, the only cry of this week. I mean, tears coming down my face. Monday night, The Daily Show, Jon Stewart. The first part of the show was rather serious this week. It was about Israel and Hamas and all that, although we found some humor there somehow. And then he got to the final three minutes and 44 seconds, came back from break after a long interview, too long, I thought. And he starts crying on the screen as he describes and shows video of his dog, Dipper. It was like 15 or 16. And he goes back and he has video of Dipper in his first run on The Daily Show where Dipper was meeting all these famous people and, you know, licking them and all that stuff. And he shows them and he does a tribute to him because the night before uh, his dog died. And I'm telling you, he's crying. Oh, yeah. Crying, can't speak. It's viral. You could see if you just want to see that segment, you can go right to it. It's insanely emotional. It's and I'm sitting, my dog is sitting right next to me <laughs> now, and he's got diabetes. And all I could do is cry when I saw it. I went, Wow, you know what? Our love for our pets is so pure. Yeah. It's it's really almost like a love for nothing else. It's just pure. Yeah. There's no negatives attached to it. And and what it is, Ange, is you know that you only have them for a short time. I mean, you know it. You you absolutely know when you bring them in, when you adopt them, right. that you got like 10 to 15 years. Exactly. And you're lucky if you get that. So if you're looking for emotion this week, Larry's balls and his <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this is why I'm doing the podcast. This is why I love TV. Nothing else yeah. gives me what that gives me. No. Should I go through this, Jay? Should I go through what we did this week? Yes, let's go through it. 
right. Uh, we did mention True Detective. If you still want to see the six episodes, they're on Max. Uh, the original thing that Kevin Costner did that was good was Dances with Wolves. That is available on Prime. Uh, the uh, Horizon, I don't know where that'll be. Don't watch it. It's crazy. The NBA is <laughs> on ABC and ESPN. Um, Paulie, unfortunately, is nowhere. But stay tuned. It is great. It's the best thing I saw this week. Hey, I have an idea. I have an idea real quick. Oh, yeah. You should post it on our podcast. Can we? And maybe someone would pick it up. Can we? Can you do that? I have to check in with the legality of that. I got to send an email to the people that produced it. If we can, I definitely will. I promise. You have to. Grassroots. Grassroots. Everyone yeah. will love it. I promise you that. Aria's recommending a familiar stranger on Prime. Uh, and I am recommending Curb Your Enthusiasm, final season, episode four, and The Daily Show. Don't miss the last four minutes on Paramount+. Plus. Absolutely. And guys, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend. Tell 10 friends. Tell 50 friends. Also, <laughs> if uh, you want more of Angelo, you can go to AngeloCatati.com and buy his book, Loud, or get it on Amazon. Dot com. I want to say special thanks to our producer, Jared Clapper, who does extraordinary work every week. Rhea, thank you for sharing your story about your son. That was lovely. And uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll be back next week. Only one more week on the boat, I promise. And then I'm home. I'm going to hug my dog <laughs> twice. See you next week, guys. this episode of the tv show if you did please like subscribe and review us on itunes it'll help people find the show also please follow me on twitter at jblackisfunny. you can send me suggestions and comments about the show there even mean ones i'm an any attention is good attention kind of guy we'll see you next week with another episode